Okay. Um, Joshua chapter 7, and we are at part 8 of a series that we're doing here on the book of Joshua. And I thought that this is such an apropos um, series to do because right from January 1st, uh, we just sensed God doing things, and this is just a series about going into the promised land and um, possessing a land that God has given us. And I feel that that is, uh, in a lot of ways, very applicable to us as a church and what God is leading us into. So part, this is part eight, Joshua chapter seven. And I would like to approach this topic from a perspective that maybe you don't hear this preached this way in this chapter. Achan and his failure and the defeat of the Israelites in the face of Ai. Uh, I think that sometimes when you hear this preach, you're going to hear it preached from a perspective of secret sin and lots of condemnation on a man and things that um, could become very scary and frightening. But I'd like to look at it from this perspective that we have been looking from the perspective from the beginning of the book of Joshua, and that is Jesus Christ is our Joshua. He is leading uh, the people of God into a land that he himself has conquered and that he is going to be distributing um, uh, the administration of that land to the tribes of Israel. So Romans chapter 5, I want to look at this verse together, verse 12, Romans 5, verse 12, before we go to Romans chapter, uh, to Joshua chapter 7. Therefore, Romans 5, verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man, key word there, sin came into the world through how many men? One man. And death through sin, right? And so death spread, another big word there, spread to all men because all sin. So we see here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that by one man, sin enters into the world and infects the entire world. And so now the whole world has sinned. And so with that in mind, let's look at Joshua chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 1. And I just want to open up with this, uh, because many Christians don't know how to process failure. Because we don't know how to process failure, we will enter into cycles of defeat, Wasting years of our lives, missing out on God's exciting plan for us. Because we don't know how to process defeat. Chapter 6, amazing chapter of Jericho. God takes down Jericho. An incredible, amazing work of God. Huge success. Jericho was the largest and the most scariest city that they could have faced in Canaan. God begins with the hardest first. And he takes them out. And Jericho was, was a city that was dedicated to the worship of the moon or Baal. And I think it's important. One of these days, I'd like to go into which God uh, was defeated and what, that, what it meant. Uh, because these are demon gods. And God, is, God, through your life and through the church in the book of Ephesians, is manifesting his glory and his grace to a world that is infested with demonic activity and it's really, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. You are not wrestling with flesh and blood in your life. You are wrestling, you and I are wrestling with, with uh, principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. We are not wrestling with Uncle Joe or Johnny down the street or my boss. We are, we are dealing with demonic entities that are set in, that are embedded in this world system that are very old and that they have an agenda 
to lead this world into deception and to destroy people, to kill people. <clears throat> Satan is a murderer from the beginning. John chapter 8, he wants to kill. He wants to kill babies. He wants to kill people. He wants to kill teenagers. He wants to kill adults. He wants to kill. Why? Because mankind, you and I, we were created in the image of God. Angels were not created in the image of God. That's right. Think of that. Angels were created as a creation. They don't have the image of God. And when God said to this council, this inner council, uh, with, with his council, his host of, of his, we can say creation team, we could call it that. He's saying, look, my plan is what I want to do. I want to create, uh, okay, creation's amazing. We have these, you know, incredible host of angels. We have these planets. Now I want to create, I want to create a solar system. I want to create an earth. I want to create something now that is going to have a creation called mankind. And this is, he's going to be made from the dust of the earth. He's a little lower than you all guys, but I'm going to give him my image. Can you imagine the jealousy and the anger that these angels must have had? Like, how dare God commit his own image, his glorious image, in something that is susceptible to fail and that will fail? Can you imagine that? Like, think of that with me, that God took the risk to create us in his image. And this this caused an incredible angelic jealousy and anger towards people. That's why the devil hates people. That's why the devil hates you and I so much. Because we have the image of God in us. We have the image of God. And that's why sometimes you're like asking yourself, why me? I'm just minding my own business. And I have this demonic attack happening. And so when failure happens, we need to know how to process that. Whenever you fail in your life, and you will, you and I will fail. Because there's great success in Joshua chapter 6, but then there's also failure in Joshua chapter 7. We need to know how to process not only success, but we need to know also how to fail. Like when we fail, what is our protocol? What do we do when we fail? When you fall down and you mess up, and you and I will, and I'm not saying that we should plan to do that, but because we're fallen creatures, and we have a nature, that, a flesh nature, that's the old programming of the old man that's been crucified, when that, sometimes that takes over, and we will fail. And how do we deal with failure? Well, a lot of people don't know how to deal with failure, and a lot of times it'll just end their life, or they will uh, disappear, or they will exit, and they don't know how to deal with it. And the way we deal with failure is the way um, it has everything to do with how our life continues. And Joshua chapter 7, Israel here in chapter, and I'm going to read through these verses, and I'm going to make some comments as we're reading. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith. In regard to the devoted things, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. And I'll stop there for a second. Why does God take the time to to um, have it documented the genealogy? Because it has everything to do. God wants you to uh, the reader. He wants the reader to go back and look at these names. And if we look at these names, we will follow it back to Genesis 38. That there is a series. There is a generational curse here there's a generational pattern of decision making that leads all the way up to Achan it's a, it's a pattern of making decisions of taking things that don't belong to them and this is the problem in, in every generation and this is the way it is with, with Adam the, the old man that he has a genealogy he has a generational succession of weakness and he took some of the devoted things now in the time of the anger of the Lord I'm sorry, and the, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Verse 2, Joshua sent men 
uh, from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up, and they spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua, and they said to him, Do not have all the people go up. Just don't have everybody go up there, because let only two or 3,000 people go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil there. Listen to the vocabulary. Listen to the words that he's saying. Listen to the attitude uh, that the people have as they're talking here. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are just a few. So send about 3,000 men. Uh, so 3,000 men went up in verse 4 to be uh, up from the people. And they fled, it says in verse 4, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gates as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent, meaning that as they were going downhill, they were being, they were being killed. And the hearts of the people melt, melted and became as water. So what we have here happening is, is that 3,000 men go up from Jericho. Number, that's, the first, that's an interesting point. Not from Gilgal, but from Jericho. Um, Gilgal represents resurrection, our resurrection base, meaning that we are a new creation in Christ, that we are resurrected with him, and that every detail and every battle in our life has to, has to begin not with yesterday's success at Jericho. It needs to begin we need to backtrack to our baseline, which is our resurrected, that we are resurrected with Christ. That today I'm not going to face AI because from, from the perspective of Jericho, I can't live off of yesterday's successes. I need, to, I need to make my base from the resurrection that I'm resurrected in Christ. And so they go up there, and it's very simple. At the gate, all these men come out of AI, and they chase, these, they chase the Israelites back out and they kill 36 men and verse 6 then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening and he and the elders of Israel and they all put dust on their heads failure man what a dark hour for Israel I mean they're just getting going and uh, Joshua is astounded he is amazed at the failure he is he is shocked he has thrown himself on the ground and um, in verse 7, Joshua says, Alas, O Lord, now mark the, take note of the way he's talking to God, okay? And how often we talk this way to God. Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? You ever say that to yourself? Whenever you've failed and you've messed up uh, and you're, you're, in this, you're in this endeavor and you just kind of, it just blows up and you have a major defeat and you're like, and you say, you're, you say God, or you're saying to yourself, I don't know if he's praying to God or himself, but he says, why was I so ambitious? Why, why did I even have to have this idea? Couldn't I have just not tried to do this? Like, why did we have to, why do we have to step out and take this risk? You ever talk to yourself like that? Like, why did, we, why did even we try this? What was I even thinking? And to give us into the hands of the Amorites. The Amorites were a people that were, um, they were the ones that they were spread out the the, you know, they were this people group that were spread out through the whole crescent of the Middle East. And they were the ones who energized what later on became Babylon. They were very demonic people. And, um, and he said that the Amorites here, are you going to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? Why would, what was I thinking? Yeah. Do you ever think that way? You second guess yourself. You start analyzing yourself. You start overthinking things. You think, what was I doing? Why did I even get into this? And we start talking like that. And, and then, um, oh, Lord, what can I say in verse 8? 
Joshua continues to pray. And he says, when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, embarrassment, the, fail, the embarrassment of failure, the, the shame that was on them. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. You ever, you ever think that way? Like, man, I blew it. And wait till everybody hears about what I did. <laughs> all the people that don't like me, all the people that would like to see me, uh, you know, done in. All the people that are just hounding me all the time and just waiting for me to fail. Wait till they hear about what happens and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. What will you do for your great name at that point? Joshua has basically just said, we're done. It's over. What are you going to do, God? I mean, it's your plan has failed. He has he has just he is totally he doesn't he is not processing failure correctly. And so he lands in defeat. If we don't process failure in our life, then um, we we begin to camp out in defeat. So the first thing I just want to make the uh, first point I want to make this morning is who is Achan and what does he represent? Achan, by the way, his his name in the Hebrew means pain or an annoyance or trouble. <laughs> I remember I was in Philadelphia. We were doing outreach on the street, and this guy comes down the street. He's in a tank top, and his whole body is just full of tattoos, and he's riding this bike that looked like his little sister's bike or something. And he's riding, and he's got tattoos all over. He's bald, uh, just, you know, really dark skin. And, and on the top of his forehead, it's just said in big letters, P-A-I-N. <laughs> and he's coming down the street, and I stopped him. I said, um, we were just talking, and I said, hey, do you got a headache or something? And we were talking and, and joking. And then he just told me he had given his life to Christ for two weeks earlier. And this was Aiken's name, pain, an annoyance, trouble. What does Aiken represent? Rep- uh, Achan represents the old man in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He just represents the old man, Adam. He represents that, um, that man that was crucified 2,000 years ago. It, because Adam created, Adam is an annoyance and he is, a, he is trouble. Uh, what does the accursed thing mean here in, um, when it says that you have taken the devoted thing, I think in your in your King James Bible it says the accursed thing, and a better translation for that would be devoted, meaning that this Hebrew word H E R E M is a word that means something that has been purposed for a certain purpose, uh, harem in the Hebrew, <clears throat> that they had taken something and that they had repurposed it for themselves. Uh, it means it's something that was devoted for God's purpose. And why is this a big deal? Because the gold, the silver, the, uh, the Babylonian garment, these were things that, uh, the golden Babylonian garment, these were things that were supposed to be devoted to God's tabernacle uh, for worship. This was a misappropriate. These things in themselves were not evil, but, they, but when they were repurposed for a purpose outside of God's purpose, that was when the transgression happened. We have to look at things and not say, hey, that is evil, that is evil. But we need to look at what is, how are we purposing these things. For example, our physical bodies. Um, you know, we look at our physical bodies not as an evil thing. These are, uh, David said, I'm wonderfully and gloriously made. And, and I'm amazed at the work of your hand. Uh, but when we misappropriate uh, this physical body to what God has given us it for, and that is when we enter into what we're going to talk about here in a second, this transgression. This is what transgression means. And so let's look at verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? I like that. Here's Joshua just doing the whole pity party. He's like, 
you know, like, you know, I'm done, it's over. And I think Joshua really struggled with discouragement. He was, everybody really, really, there's a lot of accolades to Joshua, like he's an amazing guy. But I think when you look at his conversation that Moses had with Joshua and that God had with Joshua and what Caleb said to Joshua, this is a man that struggled with courage, I think. Because you hear him saying over and over and over, only be strong and courageous. Uh, And then there's the promise after that. And so Joshua here is a man who, you know, many great leaders, many people that are great, that have a lot of success in their life, that are used by God in a mighty way, struggle with just fear. You know that? And so God says, the Lord says to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? So it's like the Lord is rebuking Joshua in the way he's responding to this failure. He's saying, what are you doing on your face? This is not humility. This is not repentance. This is self, this is uh, self deprecation this is uh, this is not humility this is not the way i want you as my man to be acting in this certain in this circumstance when we fail don't let the devil pull down your self value and your self image remember and i'm going to get at this into a second like the way you respond to it has everything the way um the way we respond to it is so important in verse 11 the lord begins to explain to um, joshua what is actually going on he says israel has sinned they have transgressed my covenant. Interesting that they would say that. Transgressed my covenant. <clears throat> meaning that meaning that they're in a covenant. They are in something. They are in a place of blessing. And they stepped outside of that to partake of something that was devoted for something else. And they have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. And they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have done, they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Remember, what does Achan represent? The old man. The old man. What is God saying to Israel? I cannot cohabit with the old man. I cannot cohabit. There cannot. It's a whole book of Galatians. Like I cannot cohabit. There cannot be the flesh, and there cannot be. The work of the Spirit. There cannot be grace and works. There cannot be the old man, the flesh, the old man, cohabiting in the same in the same body of people, the Israelites. Are you seeing the Are you seeing the, the correlation here? Is that God looks at you and I and He says, as we're as as His chosen people, and He's saying, the flesh, the old man cannot. He cannot. I cannot have him in the same body with you. There needs to be this. Achan needs to be dealt with. He's an annoyance. He's a trouble. And, he's, and, and he has a lot of issues. And what is, and what is, um, um, what does transgression mean? This is the third point I want to bring up. Transgression is a, Greek, is a Hebrew word, ma'al, which means to cross the line of the purposes of God. It means to repurpose something that God had a purpose for. And when it's used in an adverbial preposition, I can hardly say that, it means to exalt one's a throne above another in Jeremiah 52, verse 32 means that Adam, the old man, has always and will always exalt his throne over God's throne. That is why he needs to be crucified. He cannot be modified. He cannot be changed. He cannot be doctored up. Yeah. He cannot be recultured. He cannot be re-educated. He needs to die. He needs to be taken out back and shot. He's, he needs to die. And this is a very important thing because when the old man reigned, he always was self-centered. It was always about him and what he wanted this moment because he could not wait hiding and lying. This is what the old man did. 
He hid and he lied. And he was always about himself. And he was no match. And this is interesting too. There's no match for spiritual warfare because he will always turn tail and he will run. God cannot use the old man. The old man needs to be crucified. He needs to be dealt with. And, and so how do we deal with Achan? How do we deal? How did God deal with Achan in our life? What I'm not doing in this message is saying, hey, you are Achan, you know, uh, you are cursed, and you're hiding something from God. I'm not putting us in that place because I'm looking at Achan here from the biblical perspective with a Romans 5 commentary in verse 12 that he is the old man. Well, how do we deal with Achan? How do we deal with Achan? How did God deal with Achan, the troubling factor in amidst his people? Well, number one, let's read verse 13. There's three ways here that we can deal with Achan. Joshua chapter 7 and verse 13. Um, God says to Jacob or to Joshua, get up, concentrate the, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from, from among you. Interesting to note. Joshua and Israel did not know about Achan's decision. Isn't it interesting that one man's decision affected everybody and they didn't even know it? I think this speaks volumes to me because the presence of Adam uh, in the, the, the presence of Achan in the midst of Israel actually caused several factors. Number one, a familiarity. Hey, look, we don't need to send everybody up there. Let's just not let's send everybody up there and toil. It creates a familiarity, doesn't it? The flesh that creates the sense of familiarity, like, hey, we don't need to be on our game. We don't need to be, we don't need to be um, quickened every morning. Uh, we can just let it slide. Uh, we just send up. We just be familiar. And then, and then the result of that is always the lack of courage in before our enemies. And when we talk about enemies, who are our enemies? We have to understand our enemies are these are are what we said in Ephesians chapter six are principalities and powers, demonic forces that raise up their heads against your life, against your business, against your against your family, against uh, your personal life. So how do we deal with it? Number one, um, we read here consecrate. And I, the word I think here is identify. This is the first thing we need to do is identify. We need to be renewed in who we really are in Christ. We need to understand that I'm not Achan. We need to look at Achan and say, that's not me. That's the old man. He was crucified. This word consecrate is a great word. You know the difference between the word consecrate and sanctify? I don't know if you've thought about it, but I think it goes like this. Consecration is when I'm renewed in the spirit of my mind in Ephesians 4.23 about who I am in Christ, that I'm already sanctified in him. Consecration means not me trying to do something to be holy, Consecration just means I'm being reminded by God that I am not who I used to be, that I'm not the old man, that I'm not Achan. And when we are renewed in the spirit of our mind of who we are in Christ, that, that gives us the right identification in how to deal with, like Colossians 3.10 says, put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Like we have put on the new self, that happened when we got saved, but we need to be renewed in that on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. We need to be renewed. And then in Romans chapter 7, I think when we get our identity right, we begin to, we can actually say, as, as Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 20 and verse 17, it is so, no, so it is no longer I that sin that do it, but the sin that dwells within me. 
It's important for us to identify that we are not Aiken, okay? That that is not who I am. That is not me. Number two, how do we deal with Aiken? Number two, we, ex- we expose. We just expose it. And, the, and how do we expose it? Through the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what happened. God said to the Israelites, um, what I want you to do is I want you to take the Ammon the and the Thummim, which was these kind of like, nobody knows what it really looked like, and I'm glad it don't know what it looks like because people would probably replicate it and sell it on their, on their TV programs. And, but the, this was a device. This was something that was like dice a little bit that when you would, when you would roll them and throw them out, in some way it would, it would in some way point to um, what God was talking about. And it was a very kind of a mystical thing. And, and uh, it was done when it was used when the, the elders or the leadership in Israel did not know what to do next. They would just, they would just roll these out and the, these, these dice type of things would point out what, what, what God was talking about. And it's, the whole thing is shrouded with a little bit of like mystery to it. And I think that God does that on purpose because we would try to replicate that and sell it. So this speaks of the Holy Spirit. This, this device, the Ummam and the Thummim, and I don't know if I'm saying it right, uh, actually points to the Holy Spirit. And what happens is, is that, is that by, by family by family, um, the Holy Spirit begins to show, uh, begins to narrow down who, who it was because they don't know who did this. They didn't know that this was Achan. And so uh, in verse, verse 18, the Holy Spirit begins to expose Achan's family. And let's read this together. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan the son of Carmi. Again, we see the, the genealogical line here. Son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. It's interesting. That they were taken, that they were like grasped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is pointing out in John chapter 16 what is the old man? That's the old man. The Holy Spirit, we have to understand, is that God is not hating you, He's not hating the person. God is hating that foreign thing in the midst of God's people because it's destructive and it's, it, is, it, is, uh, it is annoyance, it's trouble. And then Joshua said to Achan in verse 19, Remember, Achan is the old man. My son, give glory to God of Israel, to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, period. Can the old man do that? He cannot. And we see later on what Achan says, he does not give God glory. He does not give God praise. Because the flesh can't praise God. The, The flesh can't even repent. And he says here, do not hide it from me. Tell us what you have done. In verse 20, Achan said, Joshua, truly, very matter-of-fact way. It's interesting that Achan doesn't step forward and say, I'm the man, forget, you know, I'm the man, you know, spare everybody else. He's kind of waiting, he's kind of hiding, you know, like, maybe it's not going to land on me, and maybe I'm not going to get found out. But Achan answers Joshua and says, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did in verse 21. He goes, he explains in detail. He goes, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the, tent, in the earth inside of my tent with the silver underneath. That's the old man. I, I, when I read that, it gives me this impression of just very matter. This is what I did. Uh, this is how it happened. I looked, I coveted, and this is where, and period. The old man, there's no, there's no brokenness. There's no repentance. There's no... There's nothing. And it cannot, the old man could not repent. And that's why he needed to be crucified in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And then in verse 3, so, 
So we need the Holy Spirit, and only the Holy Spirit can point out the old man. And it's an important point, because I think sometimes we live in over uh, the um, over analysis, the, the morbid self-introspection of what's wrong in my life. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us. Say, I don't even know my own heart, God. I don't even know how to repent. I don't even know if this is right or wrong. Paul said this. He says, I do not judge myself. He said that to the Corinthians. He said, I'm not living in judging myself. It's the Lord that will reveal that to me. And I like that kind of living because we can live in the freedom of the Spirit. And if there's something off, he can point it out. And what's the third thing after the Holy Spirit exposes what it is? We first, first of all, we identify who we are in Christ. We are renewed in who we are in Christ. Then the Holy Spirit begins to point out the old man. And then number three, there needs to be judgment. There needs to be a collective judgment. And let's look at verse, let's look at verse 25. Joshua said, why did you bring this trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. I like how he says that. It's just, you, you gave us trouble and we're going to give it back to you. And all of Israel, look at the wording here. All of Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and they stoned them. And they're talking about him and his whole family with stones. And they raised in verse 26 over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Why the dramatic judgment? Because Achan is not Israel. Achan is not part of God's people. Achan is the old man. Achan is the enemy. Achan needs to be crucified. He needs to be, he needs to be killed. And all of Israel needs to take part in that. Why? Because we as believers need to agree with God what he did 2,000 years ago and agree with God. And then with that co-crucifixion, with a cooperative way, stone the old man. Just say, this is what it is. This is what it's been exposed. And now I, with God, am going to agree with what Jesus did and that I'm going to I'm going to stone that old man. That just that's what it means to reckon ourselves dead. It means that when I, when some, when the devil comes at us with something, we need to identify it and expose it, and then collectively as one in our new identity, uh, stone him or stone it to to corporately judge it. And to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Acor. And then lastly, the, the, the fifth thing I want to say is, how do we recover from defeat? How do we recover from failure? Press forward. Just press forward. I love these words in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. It says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Press forward. Don't let your yesterdays determine who you're going to be t- tomorrow. Don't let your present situation, don't let your past dominate your present thinking. Okay? Don't let that um, destroy your future. Press forward. Forget those things that are behind. Don't live in condemnation. When the devil wants to bring back fear and condemnation and this sense of like, uh, uh, I, I am not worthy, then forget those things which are behind and press forward because there is a great calling. They, there were cities that Israel needed to conquer. There were places that God wanted to bring them into victory. And we read in chapter 8, verse 1, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear. And these are the two things that we have to deal with when we fail. When we're coming out of failure and defeat, fear and do not be dismayed. Dismayed is a Hebrew word that means to be shattered. I'm going to finish it up now. Shattered. It means like when someone fails and they are shattered in a bunch of pieces on the floor. Ever been, you ever feel that way? I'm shattered. 
I'm just shattered. I'm just, I can never be put back together. I can never be put back together again. I'm like Humpty Dumpty that fell off the wall. You can tell that I have a kid that's been listening to these nursery rhymes. He's on the, he's on the ground and, and all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put him back together again. There's just like no hope, you know. And he says, do not fear and do not be shattered. Take all the fighting men with you. Not just a few, but we're going to do this with a whole heart. We're going to go up there to Ai and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into you hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And then we read this amazing promise in, in Hosea 2 verse 15 about Israel. And I will give her her vineyards and they make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Valley of Achor is just a place of defeat. So I don't know if you've been there or if you are there. If you're just feel, if you're just in a cycle of defeat because of unbelief or fear or, or 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 temptation that you can't overcome in your life, that's a valley of Achor. But there's a door of hope, and that door of hope is that God will get us through, and that there is no condemnation, and that there shall be as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. I want to finish with this: is that you know what AI means? A heap, a pile. It just means a pile of something. <clears throat> and that's what happens with, with uh, Achan. He was buried in a pile at the, at the city of Pile. We don't know what the real name of that city was because the Jews never, the Jews very rarely called uh, the names that the, that the uh, Canaanites gave to things. Like David never called Goliath Goliath. He called him the uncircumcised Philistine. He never called him Goliath. The Jews were not calling AIA. They were calling it a pile of trash. And then at the end in, Je- in chapter 8, they go in and they take the king, they hang him, they kill him, and then they put him under a pile of rocks in front of the gates. And they can't even find the city today of AI. You know why? Because God takes our failures and he buries them in the, de- in the, in the deepest sea and that they're there as far as the east as is from the west that, that, that they, we could never be found out that our failures and our defeats... In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, Do not rejoice uh, over me, my enemy, for I will rise again, because it's God who raises us up out of defeat. Let's not be discouraged. Let's not live in cycles of defeat. Let's step out. Let's receive grace and press forward, forgetting those things which are behind us and pressing on towards to the amazing plan that God has for us. Amen? Amen? All right, Father, we thank you, God, for...